I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Randy Robinson here. Good to have you. And uh, we are officially in the political season with uh, the Iowa caucuses last night. Uh, and Trump's way out ahead. We'll see where that goes. Uh, and, you know, uh, I promise I'm not going to just talk politics from now until the election in November. Uh, in fact, I've got uh, a, a movie, a filmmaker, the guy who wrote Braveheart, coming on later this week, uh, as well as an artist that's fascinating uh, later. So there's great things this week. But I, I do think that it's significant when you look at the role that the United States plays in the world uh, and has played, you know, for uh, several generations now. Um, and, and here's the thing. In a lot of ways, America is, has failed. Uh, and, and, and that can go one of two directions. You, you know, you, you can go, well, we, we failed. We're no longer a superpower. China's on the rise. Russia's on the march. Middle East is blowing up. Uh, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. Or you can go, okay, what do we need to do to correct the situation, put us on a right path? And I would say that that's entirely possible because people who are doom and gloom uh, about our nation right now, I just remind them with one phrase, the 1960s. Because <laughs> you know, I, I think arguably things were actually worse in this country in a lot of ways back then. You look at the way people were being treated, especially African-Americans. Assassinations going on, riots in the streets. We're, we're we got close to that in 2020, um, but without the assassinations, I pray to God we don't get there again. What can we do, you and me, to help put this nation back on the right course? We're going to talk about that today, uh, and it has impacts around the world. So no matter where you're at, I, I think it's worth uh, watching, uh, influencing if you can, and certainly praying for because we underestimate the power of prayer. Let's not do that. My guest today has a book called The Unraveling. It's written by Dorothy Logan. Uh, she's a uh, graduate in political science. She wears lots of hats, but today she's going to wear the hat of going, what do we do to put our country back on the right path? And it's bigger than the election, but I think we need to be involved in an election. So appreciate you guys being here. If you're watching us live, uh, maybe you're stuck at home because of weather, because it's it's still cold here in Texas, and I know I'm complaining, even though most of you got it worse uh, up north. But uh, I appreciate you guys being here, especially you live people. If you're watching the replay, we appreciate your comments, too. Dorothy, welcome to Life Today Live. Good to have you today. Thank you so much for having me. Give us a little bit of a framework of uh, the book, The Unraveling, and what you're talking about there. Um, maybe we'll start with some of the problems, <laughs> if people don't know, if it's not obvious. Uh, and then we can talk about some of the solutions. But what, what are you seeing? Well, the first thing I start off with in the book is kind of a primer on things that Americans thought they knew and probably have a misrepresentation of in their memory or in their from their civics class. And because we are so focused in today's politics and um, society on democracy, especially um, these past three years and leading into an election, another a presidential election year, democracy, democracy, threats to democracy, um, needing to protect democracy. So I really delve into what our country was designed to be and the uh, the federal constitutional federal republic and why that's so important 
and, and the flaws with democracy and why we're changing this word and equating it with liberty. Because my focus is generally on this liberty, right? So my Freedom Academy is, is I'm really focused on this value of liberty and freedom. And so I that's the first part of the book, but then the second part is talking about how our society is falling apart and, and why in how our civilization, any civilization is built upon two pillars of shared language and shared values. And this really just means shared meaning because those two um, pillars are interconnected. So if, if one comes out, it takes out the other one. And so what we're watching happen, and it's been happening, the cracks have been in these, in these pillars for a long time, and there's been more and more cracks over time. And this can be usual wear and tear of, of any society, but I think the United States is, is unique in its multiculturalism, in its immigration status. You know, everyone came from descendants of immigrants and has their own culture. But more than that, we there's been an intentional attack against our shared meaning and shared values. And so I see us at a, at a place right now, barring any major shift or miracle, if you if you would, we are kind of the the lintel has has fallen, the fabric has come undone. We're kind of unraveled a bunch of threads on the floor and it looks impossible to put them back together. <laughs> All right, we're gonna talk about some of those threads, but I actually wanna go back to your first point because I think that is very significant because you're 100% right. And the reality is democracy is just one side of the coin and the other side is mob rule. Uh, and uh, you know, with, with your historical background, you, you could probably go through all the people who were democratically elected uh, who were dictators or were terrible people, you know, people that that led, led um, just tragic, you know, massive casualties, you know. I mean, democracy in and of itself actually can be quite dangerous, uh, but we are not that. Explain that, if you would, just a little bit. So democracy, and the founders looked at it as mob rule, tyranny by the majority, uh, but the reality is it becomes a permanent majority because whoever's in power, they're doing it for the good of everybody. This is like the general will, the general good, the good of everybody. So those are other phrases that um, common good that people should be paying attention to because they believe they're in the right and, and what is right and the values are determined by vote. Essentially, if we won an election, we have the power now to define values and to define what's right and wrong and to rule how we see fit. And generally what happens once this group of people gets into power or a dictator or the Communist Party in, in some instances, um, they can use the system that they got democratically and legally elected to in order to change the system, in order to keep themselves in power, punish their political opponents, and also um, instill or force their values upon everyone who disagrees with them. That sounds, that sounds very familiar. That sounds like... Uh, I don't know, uh, a former president who, uh, by fiat, gave us gay marriage, for one, which even a state as as left, as liberal as California never actually voted for. But he said, I have the power to do it. And he f fulfilled his vow to fundam fundamentally transform America, which goes right to core values. Um, what, what do we do with, with that? I mean, uh I, I don't want another president of my choosing to do that in order to undo the other. Uh, but how do you get? How, how do we get back to Republican values? And I don't mean the party. I mean the the republic, right? 
Well, and that's that's really the fundamental why it's so important to understand this as a federal republic and mm. not even just, you know, a republic because people will say a constitutional republic, a federal republic, which is all three parts are important. The most the only part that's still kind of in in play now is the federalist side of it, meaning we have hundreds of thousands of different governments in which we can choose to participate. We're so focused on the presidential race or we're so focused on the Senate races, our state races, but there's hundreds of thousands we can choose. And in, in essence, we can vote with our feet, we can vote with our dollars. This is something that's very very evident and it's really where we have all our power. Mm-hmm. The closer the government is to a citizen, to, to the civilian, the more power they have in that in that arrangement. But not only that, we have to stop looking to these government um, offices and government positions to solve our problems. The reason we were so free before was because we were solving our own problems. We were coming together in autonomous, voluntary associations um, to solve our own problems and find and we found moral authority in these places. And we also passed on our values in, in these smaller organizations. So we need to think closer to home, and stop focusing on stuff we really don't have all yeah. that much power over yeah. and start um, building relationships in close to home. Uh, I think that's why some people in my neighborhood overthrew the HOA. <laughs> because literally, they're doing things they didn't like and they got uh, enough people together to vote them out uh, and, and change some things. And I'm, you know, I'm happier with it. And that, that's an interesting point because we do, I think we're a little lazy. Uh, you know, I, I Reportedly, the evangelical vote in Iowa is down 9%. I don't know how much of that's weather-related. I don't know how much of that's fatalistic that Trump's so far ahead. Why vote for someone else in, in the primary? But if we sit on the sidelines, um, not just in the national vote, because uh, we tend to get ramped, all ramped up about that, but we, we're sitting on the sidelines in the local stuff. Is that really where we need to focus? Well, we do need to focus on the local. And I would say the national is important, too. When we talk about this being a government of of and by the people, Mm -hmm. it really um, and for the people, it really can't be if we're not allowing our voices to be heard. You should definitely the lowest level of political participation is voting. And we should always, always participate in that to make sure that we have the right to complain, if nothing else. (laughs) But we, we, you know, we should be focusing on on these lower areas, not only because we can see how it can work, and then maybe we can use that as as a template to achieve changes at a larger scale on a larger level of government, but because this is where we are most specifically affected. A lot of people are lazy because it hasn't affected their lives yet. Yeah. very much and yeah. and so the way to get people involved to say this school board or this town council or this will affect your life and mm-hmm. you need to get involved and maybe even run for office maybe start your own activism kind of thing in your neighborhood you have to overthrow your HOA whatever it might <laughs> be so because these are the people that impact your life on a daily basis yeah yeah and you know what I think we're seeing some of that because a lot of people's sons are coming home finding out that the teachers are calling them she or they. And, you, and, and that's when you get that alarming wake-up call that, hang on, maybe uh, maybe I need to get involved in my school board, you know, or in my city council. Uh, are you seeing a little bit of backlash? Because I do think that the left has overreached in, in many regards. Are people getting involved again? Yes. I think that because it got to such a point where, you know, you pulled a rubber band so far, 
you know, like let's say you have a rubber band around your wrist, you can only pull it so far before it either snaps back or it breaks. And I think people are seeing the absurdity and it's actually impacting them and they cannot believe that it, we allowed it to get this bad, right. but they can't believe it's gotten to this point. And so they are more likely to get involved. But again, there's so many parents who don't know what's going on at mm. their school, who don't talk to their children because it's been a generational and incremental drift um, away from the parents' involvement in their students' lives, in their children's lives, in school and in sports and in a number of things. I mean, sports, they're still pretty heavily involved. <laughs> like yeah, sports, right, but, right. But, but I think the incrementalism, we've gotten to the point where we're finally noticing it. And so, yeah, there's some pushback and sometimes it wins and sometimes it doesn't. And we really need to pay attention to what the difference is in those engagements and so we can win more and lose less. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned sports because you got boys beating girls in girls sports. And, and boy, you want to talk about parents getting upset that that you, you touch their sports. Can you, can you imagine in a state like yours or mine? I'm in Texas. You're in Florida. Uh, when that starts happening, you know, with our football teams, <laughs> and unfortunately, I think girls are going to get hurt if they're put in that position. But um, yeah, no, you don't mess with our sports in Texas. Um, but it's you know, and and I laugh about that. But this is this is significant. And here's the scary thing, and I want to ask you about this. Um, if you even speak up, I mean, if you if you misgender someone, you know, you you look at a boy who's dressed as a girl and you go that's a dude right dude looks like a lady to quote Aerosmith um you you face retribution that is mind-boggling really hard to believe in a lot of situations and you know you hear that these people are they're tyrants right you know and we go no we live in a land of liberty that we don't live in North Korea right do you think there are people who want to replace our liberties with their tyranny? Because it kind of feels like it at times. Absolutely. Um, I wrote another book that I wrote, The Unraveling, and then I wrote, wrote Black and White, an essay on critical theory, hmm. um, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And that there, these activist movements are very, they, they articulate, they tell us that they want to overturn the system. They want to get rid of the constitution. They want to rewrite history. They want their, they want to be in power and with the power to impose their values on the rest of us. And um, they've had a lot of wins, and and all the and the wins that they've had have emboldened them to this point where we're in a place of absurdity. But that's a problem with critical theory in that it gets to a point where it's impossible to not see the absurdity and the kind of the dissonance. It's impossible to to get to that point. Mm -hmm. However, we have an entire generation or two that have gone through the academic system yeah. and now they find themselves in entertainment in the entertainment industry and in media and the newsrooms as journalists they find themselves as judges and lawyers and they find them you know so they're everywhere not just in our k-12 classrooms now not just on our school boards but everywhere in society there are people who've been taught to think like this and yes they want to be on the winning side and have tyrannical power over the people who disagree with them and you know if 10 years ago i'd have said okay that's a little crazy but my gosh, you just have to look at the last three and a half years and you go, there's definitely something to that because you're seeing it in, in places. And it is in those places that are very close. It's not just way up in D.C. or some speech by somebody out in the middle, you know, long way from me that, that doesn't impact my life. This is impacting our lives. Uh, and it's it's disturbing. Um, 
how do we how do we start to reverse this? Is it possible to tie that rope like on the book of your book cover? I like that you got the red, white, and blue rope uh, with the unraveling there, and and you go, man. I mean, how do we do this? Thread by thread, or or do we need a new rope? What do we do, right? I I make the argument in the book, and I I shift back and forth on this in discussions, but. I believe it is thread by thread. I believe it's one relationship at a time. I believe you have to reach the hearts and minds of the young people, but also of their parents and of of the people who are in these positions, whether it be media or or your legislator, your state legislator. And again, that's easier to create relationships at the lower level of government than it is and with your U.S. House representative, your U.S. Senator, or even the President of the United States. So I believe it's about relationship. It's about opening their eyes to the idea that you can empathize and you can understand where they're coming from, but to be able to ask questions, to get them to think more critically, um, not critical think, not critical theory, but to think more critically about what they believe, why they believe it, and be able to defend it in a personal relationship where there's love, empathy, and compassion and kindness. So I believe it is one thread at a time. Um, that's what the argument I make in the book, at least. <laughs> So um, I like that you said that because a lot of us don't feel like we know all the issues or we don't feel like we have all the answers or people just don't like confrontation. Uh, and, you know, you don't have to come in and lecture somebody, especially with the ideas that are being pushed right now. Most people at least see the holes in them. And if you think about it and how to articulate it, all you need to do is ask questions of someone who is pushing, you know, critical theory or some of these other ideas, and you will find that their arguments unravel uh, or contradict themselves. And a lot of times you don't need to say anything. You can just ask the questions, let them, and, and keep in mind anybody else that may be listening is listening, right? Let them hear themselves. Uh, and then you can kind of just go, huh, <laughs> you know, so we, we don't have to have all the answers, but we, we can ask good questions. And, and that's one of the flaws that we make in this kind of political confrontation is that we are confrontational mm -hmm. instead of curious, where we should go in and say, like, why do you believe this? What do you think the end result of that would be? And don't have, you don't need a counter argument. You just let, again, you just let them examine it for themselves. They might not have even done so in the past. And it gives them, but you have to do it with authenticity. And so they know that you're not going to be attacking their answer. Yeah. Um, they may, but they may assume you're going to attack their answer regardless. And so you have to really restrain yourself and go into it with some peace and confidence and not, you know, go on the attack um, when you see an obvious flaw in their argument. All right. This again is the book, The Unraveling. I want to show you Dorothy's website as well. It is uh, freedomacademy-dorothy.com. Uh, what is Freedom Academy? So back in 2020, I was trying to, I just noticed that people didn't understand um, the the loss of our freedom that we were experiencing back in 2020. And so I, I was just trying to do a number of things just to make something stick. And one of the th things I decided to do is a four-part series, Freedom 101, um, where where does freedom come from? Um, and uh, is it worth, you know, what what is freedom? Where does it come from? Is it worth, is it under threat and how? And is it worth defending and how? Hmm. And so it's a basically a, a four-part series. Uh, I've started a blog there as well. And I have monthly webinars where I have my faithful who joined in 2020 and we're still going on. We take every current event and we apply freedom principles, how to look at this current event through 
liberty principles and everything that we discussed um, in 2020. And um, it's it's just a way to keep the idea of freedom and liberty in the forefront of people's minds, because that was our defining value of this country. And I think we've lost sight of that. Hmm. All right. Well, that's a good, great resource for anybody that's interested. Again, that is freedomacademy-dorothy.com. Uh, and you can go join her uh, and learn and participate and really kind of arm yourself for just discussions. And please always let them be polite. You know, I got to say <laughs> one issue um, that I that I have it, it. Well, OK, let me ask. Let me ask you about just the idea of protest, because we may be in for another of that, especially if Trump gets the nomination like the unhinged are going to be even more unhinged. But on the side of those, you know, who um, are Republicans or Trump supporters, whatever, uh, the people who don't want to make America weak again, right? I don't understand this slam against MAGA, like, make America great again. What could be wrong with that? <laughs> Just whatever. Okay, but they're demonizing that term, whatever. Um, it, we don't, we get frustrated, and a lot of times we don't know how to make our voice known uh, because voting doesn't seem to work or we don't get our, you know, we lose an election, whatever. How do we, as Christians, should we protest? If so, how do we protest? Was, what, what, where do you, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think if you look at the Bill of Rights, people will look at, you know, the First Amendment and the not just the right to free speech, but the right to peaceably assemble and the right to petition your government and you put this all together and you can come up with this lovely peaceful protest movement. Um, and, and I talk a lot about natural law as well. And we have, you know, to, to be able to protest, this is part of ownership of our own ideas, our own conscience, our own um, property, and a number of, a number of other avenues where we have, you know, ownership over something and the right to it. Um, and that's in natural law. And it's codified in our constitution in some ways in, in the Bill of Rights. I think it is fine to protest. But again, it has to be peaceable because when nat natural law, everyone has the same rights, everyone has the same liberties, we are free, we are naturally free. But when one individual's freedom comes into conflict with another individual's freedom, then it's the state law, it's the government's law that arbiters whose freedom wins out. And so like that's why it's peaceably assembled. You can't just go and beat people up or mm -hmm. um, tear down buildings or set you know fires or um, run over people or even block traffic. I don't think any of that is is um, beneficial. Yeah. But I think you know numbers and voices are important. I think um, again, personal relationships with your governing officials is the is first first and foremost the best way to do it. We used to write letters. Yeah. And they and and now it's like form emails. I think it's really important to make those phone calls, go make appointments with your elected officials to have relationships with them, because that's much more powerful. Um, because again, you have to look them in the eye, and they have to look you in the eye, and and it's it's another whole ball game when it when it comes to that. Yeah, and if you're going to form relationships with your elected officials, you, you can't be a violent nutcase because they don't they just write you off. They don't want anything to do with you. All right, hang on, I got to. Grab my, my hand grenade. Ready for this question? Here it comes. Okay. Okay. What do you think of all the pro-Gaza protests? Because those have been really violent. Not getting a lot of news coverage, but literally breaking things in, in, in cities around the country. Um, I am a, I'm appalled. I okay. am appalled. But this, to me, this is, 
I, I was actually surprised with how quickly the the pro Hamas really the the yeah. pro Hamas pro terrorism movement moved. I mean, could you imagine that twenty years ago, yeah. a pro terrorist movement um, ready to to protest? But again, this comes from critical theory. This comes from the way they've been taught to think. There's an oppressor, there's an oppressed, and we have given the narrative that the people in Palestine are the uh, are the oppressed, and the and the IDF is the is the oppressors. The Zionists are the oppressors, and so we must. You must go out there if if you're good. Um, progressive, if you are, if you're woke, if you are on the right side of history, you need to be supporting Hamas. You need to be supporting the Palestinians, and you have to be anti-Israel. You know what? I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because you wonder some of these things that that don't seem to fit. They don't line up. Like why would you? Why would you support that over there? Why? It comes down to that that view of oppressor and oppressed. Uh, and interestingly. When you talk about worldview and you bring in the Christian worldview, the people in power are the oppressors. Uh, the people not in power are the oppressed. And when you talk about an all-powerful God, to someone who's steeped in that critical theory, they hear the ultimate oppressor. Absolutely. And when you when you see that dynamic, some of these things that you look at and you go, "What? What's going on?" Now it makes sense. Uh, and when you also understand, uh, you, and you'll hear this in the decolonization movement, you know, things like, what did you expect decolonization to not be violent? Violence is built into the oppressed overthrowing the oppressor. It's excused. That's, again, that's why, uh, you know, they, they look at what Hamas did in murdering students, you know, young people at a music festival or old women in their homes and go, meh. Yeah. And in fact, because they're in the out group, they're in the oppressed group, they don't, there is no, there, it's never wrong to hurt those people. Yeah. In, in this way of thinking, it's never wrong for the overthrow of power in that, in that negotiate, not negotiating, but in the power reversal that they're, they're looking for. It's necessary. They believe it's necessary. And what we can't yeah. comprehend now, even in the local level, they say, oh, you want to exterminate me. You want to, you, you, you know, you, you, you want me dead. Like they actually believe this because that's where they're coming from. Yeah. And which is why as Christians from a Christian worldview, we have to approach it with our identity is not at stake. Theirs really is. That desperation is real. Their mm. identity is at stake. Mm. And so we have the confidence that our identity is not at stake. So we don't have to approach it with those same emotions and that same desperation. We can approach it in confidence and peace. That's good, and that's that's encouraging. So I'll I'll end it here. Um, we can be pessimistic people. Um, we can delve into some what I view as bad theology and say, you know, well, hey, this is this prophesied that the world is going to burn, so let it burn, right? Um, I don't agree with that. What's your outlook? How do we how do we approach the, the world that we live in? with any kind of hope is there any kind of hope i think the there is only one hope right <laughs> and i kind of say short of a miracle we're just a bunch of threads on the ground but the, the the picture on the front of my book it's a vertical rope red white and blue rope it's cut and frayed and the re the reality is the answer is relationship but the first relationship that has to be mended is that vertical relationship mm. Mm. that's good and you know what that puts i believe as it has always been, the people of God, the kingdom that is comprised of uh, every every tribe, every nation. You know, it's not 
we're not the kingdom of God isn't built on racial lines, which is not even a biblical or scientific idea. It's a social construct. Uh, it isn't built on cultural lines uh, because it extends. You know, it's it's not just the Jews are no longer the only chosen people. It's all you know, every culture, everyone. Christ is for everyone. To me, that's the only hope. Uh, the kingdom of God, yes, Nicole, watching online, it is the only hope, and it is the best answer, and it's inclusive, uh, and everyone is viewed equally. There's no male or female, no Jew or Gentile, you know. I mean, it's the most beautiful thing, and I think when we when we go back to that, uh, we have a positive message for everyone. Uh, male, again, male, female, black, white, any other color you want to put in there. Uh, straight, gay, um, Arab, Jew. I mean, the kingdom of God is the answer. And I think we can do these other things in the society, voting, uh, having influence on our local, you know, having relationships with any governing governing official. We can pray for all of them. Um, but most of all, we can welcome others into the kingdom of God. And I, I really think you get right down to it, that is the only way uh, that the world won't completely unravel. Agreed. Oh, you're supposed to. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> All right. Last word from you. Anything you want to let people know before I let you go? I appreciate your time today. No, I would really encourage people to read The Unraveling. Um, and and you might have to reread it. A lot of people find it easy to read, but then need to go back and reread it. But more to um, be prepared for the kind of controversial conversations that might come up in this next in this next year and but also to remind yourself of where your heart lies and um the fact that we don't we're not desperate and our identity is in Christ and it's a reminder that there's a bunch of us out there who are a part of that kingdom already and we're all in it together and we need to move in power love it so true and if you're not a part of that kingdom you're invited I don't care what you look like, where you come from, what your past experiences have been. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're not a Christian and you're like, okay, who are these crazy people? What are they talking about? Uh, I would say pick up a Bible and read the Gospel of John. That's a great place to start. Uh, but it's a hopeful message. Uh, and it's one that's built on love and peace and truth. All, all the things that we all say we want. Um, so that's my invitation. appreciate you. Thanks again, Dorothy. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate you guys out there watching. Hit that share button. Uh, yeah, we're hitting the topics, but we're, we got hope. Our hope is in Christ. And yours can be too if it's not. If, you're, if yours is, well, let's pray and then let's act. Uh, and, and let's un, un unravel <laughs> wherever we live. Thanks for being here. Hit that share button, hit like, follow, subscribe, and we'll see you again next time. Check out The Unraveling by Dorothy Logan. And truth will be on the throne for a day. Sunday is coming.